Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with me, your host, Donald Taylor. Delighted to have with me today, Melena Schall and Lisbeth Anderson of Wynn University, Siemens Gamesa. Great to have you with us. Can you please introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Lisbeth and I have been working for Siemens Gamesa for 14 years since 2007. Uh, where I started out in an SAP project. My background is communication and public relations, and we specialized in Spanish language. We'll come back to the communication bit in a minute. I think that might be quite important. Melena? Yeah, my name is Melena, and I've been also with Siemens Gamesa since 2007. Always worked with Lisbeth and always within the learning area. And uh, I have a master degree in HR development and adult education. And where are you located in the world? Denmark. Just making that point because we have an international audience. They might not know that uh, Wind University Siemens Gamesa is based in Denmark. And we do have a long-standing agreement, don't we, that at some point I'm going to come and visit and I'm going to get up to the top of one of those wind turbine towers. And I can't wait for that moment. In this episode, we're going to focus on making learning and development part of the business. I've known you guys for quite a long time. I've been really impressed by what you've been able to do with that. And in our conversations, we talked about how you started in the sales department. And can you tell me more about how that worked? What did you do? And how did it affect how you worked then? And then we'll talk about how it affects how you work now. So what happened right at the beginning as you're working together in that sales department? What were you doing? When we started in the sales department, it was actually due to a huge ramp up in the company. In the sales department, we're going from 20 to over 100 people. And then we had a strong wish from our sales management and also our CTO that they wanted to ensure that all the sales guys had knowledge about our product and also our processes and tools. So they wanted to build up a learning um, program for them. And then we um, partnered up with one of the more experienced uh, salesperson who actually mapped and explained a lot about what is it a good salesperson need to know. And then from there, we built an internal program where we then found the specialists, the ones who knew a lot about the product and the tools. And then we gave them some trainer skills and then we organized and set up this program. So you weren't delivering this training yourselves. You were getting the specialists to do it. Yes. So far, this sounds like it could be a sales program in many parts of the world. But Lisbeth, where were you actually sitting when you were doing this? We were located in business improvement in the sales organization, and we had people coming from all over the world. It was a globalization step in the sales organization. So we had people coming from Orlando, from China, from everywhere that came to Denmark to Mm -hmm. sit with the experienced salespeople and getting the education. They got the face-to-face training. And then there was also an on-the-job element in this. And at the same time, we also implemented a learning management system and to keep track of who had been trained in what. So we also had this role element 
that for a technical sales manager, they needed to go through these courses because it's quite a big setup. And in those days, I think we had around 50 little sessions by different experts that a technical sales manager should go through. And maybe a commercial sales manager had 40 courses. So, so keeping an overview of where people were in that uh, entire setup. So we implemented a website where people could book before they came. And so we could keep track of where they were in their progress. And that's the infrastructure you'd expect to have. But I'm very interested in what you said right at the beginning there. You were sitting not in the learning and development department, which is typically located either in headquarters or in the basement or very often in some other building on the other side of the car park. You were in the sales department. You were in the business improvement part. How did that affect what you were doing? Because you did what you had to do. You designed the content. You had the website. You had the LMS. But how did your experience of sitting in the sales department affect how you then created all those assets and that infrastructure? Well, physically, we were sitting with the salespeople. They were walking the the aisles just outside of our offices. And, you know, we met them by the coffee machine and they come and said, oh, I have a customer meeting on Tuesday and I was supposed to give this class and what do we do? And it was easy to help them and understand their everyday work, because I think that that is the key element that we were so close to them. Um, Yeah. And I think that being a part of the management, uh, being part of the sales team and also going to the management meetings, understanding what is the highlight, low light right now. So we also understand it, what was there every day uh, that they needed to focus on. So I also think that was a strength. And then definitely that the management wanted it. So, I mean, I had to make a blueprint for the CTO because he wanted to understand because it was very important for him that the sales guys got this knowledge. So They saw it was important because they were expanding the team. So they recognized it was valuable. But not everybody who works in learning development would find themselves in those management meetings discussing and listening to what's important to the sales team. How did you come to be there? Because we were part of the sales organization so it was natural to hear and being part of the team and understanding that now what you've described is initially the sort of thing which everybody in learning development does oh yeah well we did the infrastructure we did the content and so on but what drove it what made it possible was this business of really understanding the sales department you were sitting there you were listening to people and you were like you say Marlena you were involved in those discussions in the management meetings that's where you started from now you don't just do the sales side of things. Can you describe the range of stuff that you cover? At, that's a very long organization, by the way, but I'm going to keep saying it. Siemens Gamesa, Wind University. Can you describe what you now cover? Yes, we are global governance. We have a global governance role for our system and processes. Mm-hmm. And overall, we, you could say, deliver to the entire value chain of our company. We have a very strong collaboration with functional training centers that we also have in the organization that have focus on delivering training to our plants and our Mm -hmm. site technicians. So that's kind of our overall role. And then we have two key products. And that is uh, one of the product is the qualification management. That is really, uh, you know about it. It's a hardcore system and framework around to structure how uh, we secure to send people on site that have the right qualifications. And when you say on site... Tell us what you mean by that. It means uh, the site when they have to go and erect the turbines or service the turbines or also the plants. It can also be a site. And that's the site visit that you're going to get me on. Uh, This is really technical stuff. You can't have the rotors coming off a wind turbine. You can't have cracks appearing. This is crucial, as you say, hardcore stuff for the business, right? So that's one side. Yes, safety. 
is is also a very big part of it and the different requirements in different countries and different cranes used in different sites so we need to be sure that people know exactly what they do right and here you could say we designed the system and framework around that because there was a very strong business case that actually can save a lot of money if we are in control of our qualification because this is where the site planner also know when to send what people and when to retrain because a lot of the trainings need to be recertified every second year. So that's the first thing. That's a classic, what we call the right to work. If you don't have that, you have no permission to work and the whole organisation can shut down. So you have to do that. And that's one part of it. Yeah, that's the operation, a uh, licence to operate. And that's one part. And then the other part we have is within the learning management and learning delivery. And here we actually categorize our learning into two types. We have the standard learning, and then we have what we call product learning, which is Siemens Gamesa specific learning. And for the standard learning, we buy it from the outside. We don't develop anything ourselves. But the product learning, this is all this key that we also explained within the sales program is really um, tool specific, product specific, and process specific training. And that is 95% of our trainings that we have. And this is delivered with the same model as the sales program, internal subject matter experts that volunteer to be trainers with us on top of their normal job. And we have around 600 internal mm -hmm. trainers that do this and work together with us to deliver the programs that we have. The range of programs we have is within the sales, technology, health and safety, also a lot of the typical compliance mandatory training that we deliver. And we also do some digital development and support the business with that. And you have soft skills in there as well? Yes. Yes, it's uh, soft skills that is needed to work in our business. So all of this is the very Wynn University Siemens Gamesa specific stuff. Yes. Well, I always refer to it as the secret source. And that, for me, that's where L&D should be concentrating its efforts. Yes, buy in the Excel training, but concentrate on what makes you unique so that you, you can do that as well as you can. 600 volunteer subject matter expert trainers is a lot. Do these people go out and they spend a part of their time doing it? They go back into work and they're, they're not training all the time. They are subject matter experts most of the time doing their work, yeah? And it's people that are very dedicated to their work and they know a lot about the business or the mm. area that they're in. And then they're willing to share, share their knowledge. We then underpin them with a trainer program where we help them to develop their skills as trainers. And before COVID, we did some yearly trainer award programs for them also to give the recognition that they Brilliant. actually do an, an, an extraordinary work for the business because it is really important. And we've also been a business that has grown a lot. When we started in 2007-8, we had 120 people coming in to the business every month. So we've been under a, a huge growth and a lot of changes in the business and also a business that is changing. Today, there is approximately 25,000 employees in Siemens Gamesa. There are 25,000 employees. Yeah. How many people full-time doing learning and development? In our team, around uh, 24 people. That's not an unusual ratio of about one to a thousand, but you can only do it across the vast complexity and serious license to operate requirements by having proper systems and having these, these subject matter expert volunteers. Let's go back to what you took from your experience working, sitting with the sales team, understanding their business needs, being part of the process back in 2007, 2008, bring that through to today. How has that early experience 
influence how you now deal with the business? Because a lot of people listening to the programme will be thinking, well, they'll be in the position whereby they are people who do a great job of delivering training. But it sounds to me like you've got more of a background in really being an integrated part of the business. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think it is. And I think also a big part of our team is actually people that comes from different parts of the organization. So they have a very big knowledge about the area that they come from. And in the beginning, they have been lent out to our department and then they have later been an integrated part. But having that knowledge of the business is very, very crucial, both because of the network that they have, but also the understanding of the business areas. And Actually, in our team, we have eight people that have been with us for more than five years and three for more than 10 years. And they really have the knowledge of the business, which is really strong because then they can go and transform and push the business. The relationship is just really, really important. Understanding the business and seeing, okay, they're struggling in this area. Mm -hmm. So this is where we should go in and help. But also sometimes not push so hard with all of the good learning theories that we have because the business (laughs) is in a different place. So we have to understand what is taking place out there. And I think that's really key about understanding and talking with the business, but also sometimes uh, not try to solve the fancy learning model if it's not really applicable in the uh, to implement in the reality so understanding the reality and then take the learning tools that we have and you know flavor that in a way so we actually can implement it and make the change i love what you're saying you're focused on making a difference to the business mm-hmm. first so that's where it comes from how do you know what's going to make the difference Well, it's knowledge and it's the networking, because when you know people and and you have the ability to speak their language, Mm -hmm. then you're also more likely to enter into the important conversations and ask the right questions. Because, you know, in our company, we have a lot of acronyms and abbreviations and people say it like everybody knows. And sometimes you just need to know and then understand where they're coming from. That's a literal case of understanding the language. But what you're describing actually is, I think, a combination of many things. It's a deep experience, a shared experience. And one thing I've noticed with these successful learning teams is very often they have been part of the business, as you have, for a long time. And they very often watched it grow. And I think that's something that's irreplaceable in terms of experience. So experience and longevity is one thing. Another thing, of course, though, which you've mentioned in this conversation, we hadn't dealt on much in previous conversations, is the network. Actually, one thing I've found in talking with people who've done successful learning change programs is the size of the network is pretty crucial. But then size is one thing, but underneath it, and I think this is the crucial bit, is trust. The ability to have a conversation whereby people feel they can trust you and have a good conversation with you. And you generate that atmosphere so that you can then get from them what's needed. You talk about the network, Lisbeth, and you're right, of course, you need the network. But the network without the trust is useless, isn't it? Because you can ask a question network, but just get back what they think you want to hear or get back a surface answer. When you're in conversation with people, and there may be no answer to this, but when you're in conversation to people, do you get the sense that they trust you? And if so, how do you make sure that you are helping them really describe what the performance issues are that they need to tackle? I think one of the most important thing is to be able to not try to put something down to their throat, but really stand on their side, understanding what is the need where they're coming from, 
And then having these conversation, and maybe you need to have a few meetings to also move in the right direction. So we understand and that we have that trust to understand that we are actually here to help. And maybe we challenge them a little bit to say, maybe we shouldn't do a three hour e-learning. Maybe we could do something else, but that is in the conversation that you build that trust. And that is of course also another capability you need in the people you have in your team is that they are also good at doing the conversations with the business so they feel trusted. Yeah. Uh, speaking a language that the business understands, I think is very important because we have the 70-20-10 model that is all good and fine. But if you go to SME in procurement and say, okay, uh, for your learning program, we should do the 70-20-10 model, which is really good. And it's just a way to do learning today. They have no clue what you're talking about. And there it's about embedding the theories into the business language. I just love that. It's so true. And I think people who are good at this do it instinctively. But it's nice to hear it brought to the surface and made clear. As you say, Melina, don't go out trying to push something down somebody's throat, but go there, listen, and accept it may take two or three conversations. And then find what's going to work. And the listening bit is so crucial, understanding what the issue is. So let's say somebody comes to you and they say, hey, we've got a new system we need to introduce. So we're going to need a two-day course for this. Can you organise that, please? What would your reaction be and how would you deal with somebody who came with that idea? Well, we sit down and have a conversation and listen to what is the system trying to understand, where does it match the other processes that we have in the business, and also looking into what is existing already. And then the typical question would be, what are you trying to achieve here? Sorry, let's just stop that for a second. I just want you to repeat that. What are you trying to achieve here? Right. Thank you. Just for everybody listening. That's the question. Please go on. Yes, because we need to understand what is the business problem that you are actually tackling. And from there, it's a little bit different whether it's a new system, because a lot of people cannot say what is the business problem if you implement a new system. But if it's replacing something else, we can look into what, what are the problems that you've seen before? Where are you struggling? Do you get a lot of questions? Do you perform a lot of support? Okay, so... Do you have a ticketing system, for instance, where you can see you get a lot of questions about the process? Okay, then let's look at the process and try to explain that. But it's really important to really understand what the issue is. What are you trying to solve? How do people respond to that approach? It's a little bit different. Sometimes people come to us and say, well, we're implementing a new system. We want an hour e-learning. Let's just do that. And we say, fine, okay, let us talk again and find out what are you imagining? And we also get them to describe what you actually imagine in one hour e-learning would look like. And then they can go through it all and say, okay, that's fine. It looks good. But maybe from a learning perspective, this piece and this piece wouldn't make sense. Maybe we could do that as performance support instead. We could put it into the ticketing system and then we can cut it down. And some people, they come and say, we really want this. We've seen e-learning before just do it. And sometimes we say, yes, we can do that. But maybe if we cut it down, then we will also match, uh, you know, people's expectations. We can save some money for the business instead of having a one hour e-learning. Maybe we do 15 minutes of an overall process, then we can tell people where they can find more information. Bringing your expertise to the conversation. And again, because you're established in the business, they will have the conversation with you. Is there a process around these conversations that you'd, you'd go through? Yes, we have set up a learning management process that is very heavily leaning on our internal project management process. 
because when we go into some of the larger learning projects, it can be full scope for the entire business with a target group of 25,000 people. So it is a project. And also using this project model that is very well known in the business, it's also easier to understand for the people. We say, okay, let's right. have an investigation first and we look at the pre-scoping and then we go to our management and say, is this what you want? And having that very clearly describe what it is that we want and also showing the impact, making some calculations, say, okay, if we do in one hour e-learning times 25,000 people, that will cost this. If we do a 15 minutes, then it will cost that both in production time, but also in employee working hours. And having that very clearly described can also push sometimes. So maybe sometimes we only do the investigation part and then people go like, okay, I get your point. Maybe we should just do a communication campaign instead right. to create awareness. And I also see that as saving time for the business and cost reduction, right? Yeah. Yes. And I think one of the strengths with this process that Lisbeth and her team are using is really uh, having focus on something the business know, but also then putting in the learning bits in the question. So a success criteria, what is it that we want to get out of this? That can also be really the learning impact measurement, but we put it into the business language. So they, in a way, also understand it much better and can bring in some of the input that we need to also be able to challenge them or to agree with them what it is that this learning should change. I love the fact that you are both literally using the language of the business and metaphorically. So you're talking about the things they understand. You're talking about what's important to people, but you're also literally using the language of the business. You're using the project management methodology of the business so that people know where they are in a process. Oh, right. We have to do this bit before we do that bit. And I'm expecting when we get to that bit that we'll expect these things to happen. You have that project methodology. You have a bunch of other things happening in the organization that have put you in a unique position. Your, your history starting the sales department, the fact you've been working together for so long, the fact that you've grown as the company has grown. Now, these are unique conditions that I think have led to what strikes me as being the extremely effective training and learning department. Do you think that every learning and development person out there can do what you've done? Or do you think those conditions are unique and have enabled you to get to where you are. What advice would you offer other people wanting to make the same transition from being a deliverer of training, which is necessary, to being much more of a business partner, somewhere where learning is integrated in the business? I think I would recommend that you start small in some of the area where there are business need. So go where the energy are and where there are some, you could say, money from the business saying we want really to make a change because you can actually measure an impact and can save money for the business. Start there and then go out, sit and understand the business that you are supporting. So you get that language into you and then start small. And that's also kind of what, when I look back, what we have always done is that we are also just doing pilots, trying things out and then learn from that and then adjust. So that has been really uh, one of the strengths uh, also that we are not afraid to do things in a different way and to experiment and to see the results of the experiment and then to adjust yeah also open conversation i think a big part is also the strength in a team we've always focused in having different personalities in the team and we have an open conversation about that and are not afraid to fail and challenge each other because melina and i we are similar in so many ways that we have this 
looking forward mentality and trying to experiment. But we also need some people that can actually help us create the processes and actually make things work because we're not that strong in that part. So it's also having this mutual respect and finding that balance. And then it's also been hard work many times that sometimes we have done things that might not from the outside look as the right thing to do, but working really hard on small things to make a success and get the respect from the business. You know, I don't think we talk enough about that. Obviously, I have a lot of work with learning technologies, and I think we tend to focus a lot on big implementations, big things happening. But what you just said there, Lisbeth, and you said it as well, actually, Melina, focus on where there's a need. It could be quite small. Start small. Focus on something where you can have an impact and work really hard, like you say, Lisbeth. And, and that was the key word. You get the respect of the business. And from that, then things grow. Of course, you still have to work really hard. But gaining that initial trust and the respect is the crucial bit, isn't it? And then I also think that it's important to think like you are a small company in the company. So you need to sell your product. You need to understand that there is a market and also that you earn enough money. And with that, I mean the business case that you can explain the management why you're here, because it's always up to discussion. Why are you so many people and what is it actually that you're doing? So I think that's the constant thing you have to work on. And there I also think that having so many people in the team being with us so many years is also something that gives gives us energy that we help each other when things are a little bit tough, yeah. right? Because they are, and you are not in this job if you just want an easy job. You're in here because you really believe you want to make a difference. Fantastic. And that, I think, is also what we give each other in the team mm-hmm. and give each other that energy, yeah. Some of the things that also have, because one thing is there with the learning projects, when people come and ask for um, learning projects, this is one approach where we really have spent some time on making that process better. But then we also have more learning frameworks, like the sales that's been there with us since 2007, but it's been changing a lot over time. But here we really have what we call learning framework with the business, where we have the decisions board with the sales management, where we also then make sure that the program manager always are in close relation with the management and the trainers to figure out what is the focus for the next three months. And there we are more in an operating, you could say, not a project scope, but more an operating scope, but also changing and adjusting all the time to the business needs. So that's kind of the two main learning processes we have. But there's also the entire operational side that we have, that we actually deliver a lot of learning, the formal learning set up to the business. And last year we had more than 100,000 bookings. And there's also a lot of processes going around that because we help the internal trainers to structure their training. So they basically have to show up. So we have a team dedicated to helping them. So the trainers, they don't need to think a lot about how do I deliver and how do I ensure that people are there? There's somebody checking. Well, there are only three participants for your training next week. Let's cancel it and conduct the one next month instead so they don't waste time. And that's so important because if it's too difficult for an internal trainer to do training because he needs to organize everything himself, he will not do it. Yeah. So... You've got these two very different parts of the business that you've both you've pinned down. The operational stuff is crucial, absolutely crucial, and you just need to get the detail right on that. At the same time, you've got the the other side, the learning side about product and what have you, very much about 
ensuring you're matched with the business and you're responding well and delivering what it needs strategically for the future. It's been wonderful to talk and to really learn how people starting in that sales team built this fantastic operation, as you say, a firm within a firm, delivering value to Wind University Siemens Gamesa. That is fantastic. Well, we actually, we're, we're delivering value to Siemens Gamesa as a company. We're not yes. delivering to our learning department. That's the point. You're delivering yeah. value to the company. Exactly. Yes. Um, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast, what you can't see is I can see. I can see both Lisbeth and Melina nodding enthusiastically at the idea. Yes, we are delivering value. And that's what's driven the success. The final question that we ask every guest on the podcast. What do you wish you'd known when you started in learning and development? And what are you curious about right now? So who wants to go first? What do you wish you'd known when you started? I think I would have loved to know that we were actually on the right path uh, with the thing we, we started on in sales, because I think there has been a lot of doubt during the many years, and it would have been nice <laughs> to know that it was actually also what a lot of L&Ds are trying to do today. So that would have been really fantastic to know from the start. Hopefully you're helping other people who are doing that now. You're helping them know they are on the right path. Lisbeth? Yeah, well... Um... I think all of the hard work, if I had known that, maybe I wouldn't be here today, <laughs> but it's always been good fun. And I think that the dedication from the management is an important part and, and to continue having that and focusing on that. I think that would probably have been uh, stronger in the past if I had known what I know today. And what are you curious about right now? Well, on my end, I'm working in a very big project in an SAP implementation project where we're changing the learning, not so much focused on the formal learning, but more on performance support and little videos and building that up. And there again, we see we're very successful in the past of the business where we have good relations, but it's a little bit harder to change the culture in other areas. So having this entire performance set up is something that is very much on my mind currently. And changing the culture and getting people to ask questions more openly, that is something that's going to be interesting to see how that develops over the coming years, to see if we can change that learning culture. Makes sense. Melina? I'm very curious about how all these good trainers that we have, that have delivered before COVID-19, it was 90% classroom training and then when COVID came everyone is doing virtual trainings now so really focusing on supporting them to be brilliant digital trainers uh, both in the virtual but also on the more social and collaborative learning tools and processes that are out there because I think they are the key for us to make this transformation so that is really uh, what I'm curious about. <laughs> I have to say it's been wonderful talking to you both and chatting about how you've built this existing great infrastructure, but also hearing about what the challenges are and how you're so focused on making the change in the learning culture, shifting people to digital, how you're focused on continually improving what you're doing and taking the great processes and delivery you're doing right now into the future. It's really heartening. So thank you both so much, Melina Chow and Elizabeth Anderson of Wind University, Siemens Commission, for joining me on the Speaks Exchange podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.